So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how is this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Scripts. The podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch and take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. The content and clips in today's episode will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes. Welcome back, and today we're covering a movie that we've really been interested and curious to talk about for a while. A tumor? Yes. Me? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that doesn't make any sense, though. I mean, I, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I, you know, I recycle. How do you feel right now? Fine. You know, I, I can't remember being so calm in, in a long time. Would you describe what you're feeling as a kind of numbness? described as fine um probably having a nervous breakdown what are your chances it said 50 50 it's not that bad if you were a casino game you'd have the best odds it's what everybody's been saying you'll feel better and don't worry and this is all fine and like it's not you can't change your situation the only thing that you can change is how you choose to deal with that really think that a girl's gonna go for me just because I have cancer. For the millionth time, yes! Great song. Totally. I have cancer. I was wrong. I was wrong. Nice it was, it was weird. No. That's right. Today we'll be talking about 50-50, and we've been excited to cover this for a while. Um, you may have heard in our intro a clip from this movie that you'll hear again today. True. There's a lot of good therapy content, and when I say good, I mean good <laughs> to talk about. Yes. Um, We're also really excited to talk about this movie and these topics today because I specialize in health psychology. So as Dr. Fran mentioned, um, last month was Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Dr. Fran and I both do um, largely work with younger populations. Um, so this is something that we both have experience with, working with young people with cancer in um, these types of settings. And so we're really eager to break down this movie. And as Dr. Fran mentioned, a lot of um, interesting content to discuss today. <laughs> and if you're kind of sitting there being like, what is health psychology? What does Dr. Sam mean when she says that? We will tell you in a little bit. But before we jump into that, we did want to let you know if you haven't seen 5050 or it's been a while, you can find it on Hulu as of right now. Um, so that's an easy place that you can watch that for free. Um, and if you have other avenues to watch it, we definitely recommend checking it out before you come back and listen to this full episode. Yes. And as either a refresher or just a review, or if you're wanting just to dive into the episode, 5050 is a movie from 2011 starring Joseph Gordon Levitt as Adam Lerner. He is initially a healthy 27-year-old that is very shocked to learn he has been diagnosed with having malignant tumors along his spine and a very rare form of cancer. After learning about this diagnosis, he also kind of does some of his own research because his doctor isn't the most informative, and we'll definitely get to that more as well, and learns that he has a 50-50 chance of survival. Adam tries to remain optimistic, and he really leans on his support 
system, his girlfriend, his mother, and his best friend Kyle, who are played respectively by Bryce Dallas Howard, Angelica Houston, and Seth Rogen. Um, So a really famous and great cast here as well for this movie. And then Adam starts seeing a therapist, played by Anna Kendrick, to help him cope with his new diagnosis. Yeah, I agree with the cast. I really like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I really like Seth Rogen and Anna Kendrick. I really love, and I will say she's a good actress in this role. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's the Her role. character, not my favorite. Exactly, it's the <laughs> but role. She, we she have does it well. With. Yeah, <laughs> she plays it well, which is why I dislike her character so much because she's such a good actress. <laughs> Yeah, at playing a not-so-good therapist. (laughs) Yeah. Spoiler alert. (laughs) But before we dive into that, she's not the only provider that we see. Um, So as Dr. Sam mentioned and kind of laid the groundwork, the scene for us, early on in the movie, Adam is diagnosed with cancer. And we wanted to play this clip just to kind of get some context of, like, how he learns about this diagnosis and kind of how he processes it and how this provider shares this information with him. Patient has been complaining of back pain and night sweats. Blood tests and urine analysis are normal. MRI suggests a massive intradural malignant schwannoma neurofibrosarcoma extending into psoas muscle with nerve root compression syndrome and bone erosion. Growth extends from L2 to L5. We'll send patient for biopsy to confirm. Yes, question. Sorry, I just, I, I didn't follow that. Is there, is there something wrong with me? Yes, uh, well, if you... Look here on your MRI, you see this cephalopod-like object that's spreading down your spinal column. That is a massive schwannoma neurofibrosarcoma. Okay. Uh, so sorry, I, I just don't know what It's you... a malignant tumor. A tumor? Yes. Me? Yes. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't make any sense, though. I mean, I, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I, you know, I recycle. Actually, your case is really quite fascinating because... Your cancer is the result of an incredibly rare gene mutation in chromosome 17 p of the P53 gene that causes the growth of malignant cells and it's good to be cautious for neurosis. In your case, it's a lower cell response. You want a four-month regimen of chemotherapy and it's very aggressive. I think that given the placement and size of your particular tumor, the wisest course of action is to see if we can possibly reduce this thing down to a more manageable size before we consider surgery. Now, chemotherapy can often result in fertility issues. But I'm going to be okay. If you need someone to talk to, uh, we have an excellent staff here at the hospital of social workers and psychologists. They specialize in these matters, and they would be able to help you. So we get a very brief sense. Um, You can't see this from the clip, obviously, but the first interaction is the doctor walking in the room. He's got this tape recorder and he's not even interacting with Adam. He's just kind of, you know, going on and about this too, about the, what, you know, what he's seeing and um, like using a lot of jargon, a lot of words. And then finally Adam interrupts him is like, wait, can you explain to me what is actually happening here? How do you feel like this doctor did in this situation, Dr. Sam? I feel like this scene is so heartbreaking to me. Um, The whole time, you know, Adam gets up to shake his hand, the doctor walks past him, doesn't acknowledge him, and then just starts saying a lot of really scary-sounding words um, and not really being empathetic to the fact that there is a person sitting in front of him who this is very new and scary to. You know, Adam asks questions like, is there something wrong with me? Am I going to be okay? 
the doctor really ignores his questions and kind of brushes them aside or, or you know. Like very dismissive. Very dismissive. Like when he asks, am I going to be okay? That would be a really potentially great opportunity to talk about Adam's prognosis and treatment options and what those might look like for him um, instead of just saying like, well, there are other people you can talk to about that, which, okay, that is great. I'm glad that this doctor did refer him to talk to um, a therapist that specializes in this type of matter. But just this whole interaction, you know, obviously Adam's very shocked. We hear that he kind of starts to zone out and things get like really kind of loud and fuzzy because he's just in shock. And the doctor's not giving him time to process or like take it in, like kind of like if he had delivered the information like one step at a time of like, okay, and it's like as soon as he says that word cancer, Adam kind of like zones out and like is still in shock and the doctor keeps talking. You can hear him in the background talking about surgery and chemotherapy and not giving Adam any opportunity to really catch up and process what's happening. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of these things are, you know, like he he diagnoses Adam, I believe, with a schwannoma neurofibrosarcoma. Okay, Adam's not going to understand that. Most people are not going to understand what that means. So saying that that's what it is and then further explaining, you know, what that means. Um, I also really cringe at the part where he's like, oh, you have a very fascinating case because you're right, Adam, like you are really healthy and you've tried to be really healthy. um, But this is really fascinating because you developed this rare genetic case of this type of cancer. Like, people don't want to be treated like an exhibit. You know, they are Mm -hmm. people, and I think that this doctor, he may be very good at what he does. I hope he is. Um, But he could um, definitely benefit from some more people skills and learning about, you know, empathetic, like being a little more empathetic, listening, allowing his patients to ask questions. Um, This scene is just, it's just really upsetting. (laughs) It is. And and what Dr. Sam did there is describing terms, a term people may have heard before, like bedside manner, right? Of like, And unfortunately, doctors have a bad reputation, probably because of scenes like this in the movie. And of course, there is a range of how much, how empathetic and how caring and how personable providers are in any field. And so, but unfortunately, doctors get this bad reputation of having bad bedside manner because of scenes like this of like, they don't really care and you're just a medical case and you're just numbers and like, you know, body parts and not an actual person like sitting in front. So I agree. It's sad in general for Adam. And it's also sad that like the physician is being portrayed in this way in this movie. Very true. This movie is definitely leaning into negative stereotypes. Um, You know, Dr. Fran and I have worked with fabulous physicians who have really great bedside manner or oncologists that oncologists are doctors who specialize in working with cancer, who work with individuals and are more empathetic and ask questions and don't deliver news in this way. Um, I think this is potentially for that shock value of just like how horrendous this um, scene and this like diagnosis is handled. And so we hear the the physician mention that, like, we have other people on staff. And, like, I agree. That's maybe the one good thing he does in this <laughs> setting is, you know, offer, like, hey, we can connect you with other people who can help you process this and can spend more time with you and, and deal with that in a different way. Um, and that kind of leads us to a broader discussion of what health psychology is. Like Dr. Sam mentioned, there is a whole kind of subset of clinical psychology that specializes in kind of working with individuals that are going through, you know, physical health difficulties in one way or another. So Dr. Sam, can you tell us a little bit more about what health psychology is? So I know that you all have heard Dr. Fran and I mentioned the American Psychological Association or the APA. So the APA defines health psychologists as those who study the factors that promote mental and physical health. So they help people recover from an illness or cope with a chronic condition. Sometimes this can be at the new onset or new diagnosis of a condition or as people are living long term with a chronic condition. 
Health psychologists are often experts in the intersection of health and behavior and are really in demand as part of what we call integrated healthcare delivery teams, or these are teams I think Dr. Fran and I have also alluded to before that have multiple types of providers. So physician, social work, psychologist, uh, dietitian, nutritionist, whoever those team members may be. And they really work within the context of this team with other doctors and specialists to provide whole person healthcare. Um, and when we say at the intersection between health and behavior, this can look the, this can come into play in a couple of ways. So for example, if you are working with an individual who has diabetes, helping them to increase the behaviors that allow them to engage in whatever their treatment recommendations are, like taking insulin or checking their blood sugar, that would be an example of behaviors that help impact our health. There are a lot of behaviors like these from taking medications to sleep to um, what we eat in our physical activity. And so really health psychologists are kind of experts in where these all kind of come together and intersect to promote positive mental and physical health. Yeah. Thanks for that overview, Dr. Sam. And another piece that we like to talk about with health psychology, it's not always, but it is often the case that they're actually embedded within a hospital setting. Um, So Dr. Sam and I have both worked in these settings where you may have an office that's actually located within a hospital and then you're able to very easily go over to like if someone's inpatient or outpatient, you're really quickly able to kind of access as opposed to having a client or a patient have to go to one place for their medical visits and then go to a completely other side of town, for example, to see a mental health provider. They're in the same location, which just increases that access for those individuals. Yes, definitely. And I think that's an important part of this. Oftentimes, health psychologists are in the hospital setting, and so they might be able to follow with individuals and families um, in an outpatient setting. So just like what we've talked about in previous therapy, they can meet and have therapy with the patients that they're working with. They can also go down to clinic. Like let's say Adam was there for his um, infusions or cancer treatment. The psychologist can also pop in and meet with him then or, you know, be a part of the clinic team and get called in to meet with the patient who's having a particular difficulty or gets a new diagnosis. And then that last piece that you mentioned, Dr. Fran, is if someone is admitted to the hospital, so what we call inpatient stay, health psychologists also can go in meet with them, address any major concerns that the family, the patient, or the team has, and help to follow with them throughout their stay and even after they leave in an outpatient capacity if that's what's needed. So it is really kind of this whole person healthcare coming together in these teams to best um, help these patients with their mental and physical health concerns. Yeah, and I like that really big emphasis on the team piece because it helps with that collaboration of like you're having everyone in the same location, they're actually communicating. So the mental health and the physical health providers are, you know, interacting acting and sharing information and making sure they're all on the same page. And Dr. Sam also mentioned that team often includes the family. So we see like in Adam's case that he really tries to draw on social support, which is makes a lot of sense. It's very common that in times of like learning about a diagnosis or having a chronic illness, people do often rely on not only their medical and like psychological team, but also their like family system or their other support system to try to cope and process what's going on. Yes. And we know that family support and other pieces of social support, so friends and family, um, that the more positive social support an individual has, that is actually associated with, or we can kind of see more positive health and mental health outcomes related to that as well. So this is a really important piece of the treatment and just coping and managing a condition, especially one like cancer. 
Absolutely. We won't get a ton into the different people in Adam's life because we could probably spend like a whole episode on each person and how they're coping with learning of Adam's diagnosis and how they're responding to that. Um, And we really want to spend the bulk of today talking about the therapy because it's just such good content. Um, But we will just briefly go through kind of like, especially what we we see in Adam's support network. We've got like his girlfriend at the time, his best friend played by Seth Rogen, his parents, and they all cope very differently with learning about Adam's diagnosis. Yes, I will say just kind of broadly, like Dr. Fran mentioned, we could talk about them and just kind of the support systems and these relationships for the whole session today. But I think kind of largely we see his mother. You know, she is a caretaker um, in many ways. She is also helping to care for Adam's father, who I believe has like Alzheimer's or another type of dementia that they uh, talk about in the movie. Um, And it seems pretty advanced. And so she's helping to care for him. And then when she learns that Adam is uh, sick as well, she really kind of dives into that, like almost like I think he, he... either Adam or the mom even says at one point like kind of like a helicopter parent or just like really involved she wants to move in she really wants to kind of take over that caretaker responsibility but at the same time like doesn't really know how to ask him about what he needs or know how to best support him and what he is looking for Um, so they actually end up kind of clashing and he avoids his parents because you know it's not really it kind of is even more overwhelming and he in a sense worries about them he worries about how they're feeling emotionally and how they're coping which is unfortunately not uncommon. You know, we do see this in people who um, are diagnosed with cancer or other illnesses. Um, and then we have his best friend who also kind of like, I think, at the op- like also like a pendulum almost swings to the opposite side where he's like also wanting to be all in and really kind of, I think, his approach is more just trying to distract Adam, right? Like, well, let's just keep mm-hmm. having fun. Let's just keep doing this. You don't need your girlfriend. Like, let's go and meet women at the bars like he just kind of also takes an approach that he thinks is helpful without asking Adam again like if this is what is really being helpful so I think they all have good intentions um, but unfortunately it's not the most helpful to Adam and also unfortunately this is not necessarily an accurate portrayal we do see with people who have chronic illness conditions or who are diagnosed with cancer where their helpers mean well but don't necessarily know how to help yeah, absolutely. And of course, there's resources out there. I think one of the like more touching scenes is towards the end where um, Adam realizes actually Seth Rogen's character has yes. found a book on how to support people with cancer. And he's been reading it. And, um, you know, that seems to touch Adam of like, okay, he's trying, right? Like he doesn't always know the right thing to say, the right thing to do, the best way to support me, but he really cares and he's wanting to seek out those resources. We also learn that his mom it discloses mm-hmm. she's been going to support group for, um, I think it's parents with yep. of children with cancer. Um, and so these people are kind of like, no one knows how to do that perfectly. Right. Um, so there, there are resources out there, um, for, you know, supporting people in that situation and no one's going to be perfect. And there are still, we know there are more helpful ways than others of how to support someone who's going through something like this. Exactly. And while no one is perfect, one of the people that we might expect might do a um, more positive or more productive way in assisting someone with a cancer diagnosis would be their therapist. So let's kind of get into the portrayal of um, Adam's therapist, Catherine. (laughs) Yes. I feel like the rest of this episode is just going to be a roast of Anna Kendrick's <laughs> therapy therapist character, but we'll try to be as objective as possible. Uh, so, our first interaction with the therapist. Let's just start there. We'll play a bit of the clip and kind of and kind of dive in uh, while we're talking through it. Uh, I'm supposed to have an appointment with uh, Dr. McKay. Oh, sorry. 
please come in and please call me Catherine. Oh. Hi. You're Dr. McKay. I am. Uh, uh, well, have a seat. <laughs> Sit down, Thanks. please. Um, sorry about this guy. You're Adam. Yeah. <laughs> and aren't you supposed to, you know, be wearing an earth tone sweater and be like 65 or something? Oh, did someone say I looked like that? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just... <laughs> sorry. If you don't mind, uh, how old are you? Um, 24. You're 24? Wow. So what are you, like Doogie Howser or something? Who? Doogie Hauser, the teenage doctor. Does he work here? No, no. I just meant you seem a little young to be a doctor. Uh, technically, I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not a doctor yet. Um, I'm actually working on my doctorate. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is a training hospital. Okay, so we are introduced to Catherine, not Doctor McKay, as we learn, and I think that there are just some important factors we want to point out here. I mean. One of the funniest parts of this clip is just really that Catherine is not getting any of the references that Adam is putting down. <laughs> um, he first says, like, oh, aren't you supposed to wear earth tone sweaters and be, like, 65? And this is something Dr. Fran and I have talked about a lot, just the stereotype of what, like, psychologists or psychiatrists or academics look like, right? Anna Kendrick, she's, like, young and cute and she you can't see her she's wearing like a bright sweater so she's just not fitting that stereotype and then he calls her doogie hauser she also does not get that so you know right away just like some discrepancies there (laughs) yeah i mean again i think like the acting in these scenes are excellent because it makes me so physically uncomfortable to watch that they they're just so (laughs) awkward like she doesn't get the references she's like offended he's trying to like make her feel better so that's like the acting is just really good in terms of like i think that's it's supposed to make you uncomfortable and cringe Um, very true Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in terms of the actual, like, ethics of this scene, let's get into some of that. Yes. First of all, the fact that she doesn't correct him immediately that she's not a doctor and then kind of waits to throw it in. Oh, wait, I'm actually not a doctor. I'm in training. Like, how is this the first time? That's, like, one of the very first things that she should have made clear to him. Um because it's like informed consent for him to know like who he's working with and that she's a trainee that she doesn't have her degree yet that she's probably being supervised by someone hopefully yes i agree with all of that you know she says oh just call me Catherine," right so she doesn't really say she's not a doctor yet and then later when he's talking about uh, doogie hauser she says technically i'm not a doctor no, not technically. Like, you are just not a doctor. <laughs> it's um, a yes or no. It's a you are or you're not. <laughs> and at that point, right? And then, you know, like Dr. Fran mentioned, actually, when you are working with trainees from the very beginning, when she introduced herself and said, actually, yes, I'm Catherine McKay. I'm a graduate student. I'm in the process of completing my doctorate in see therapy patients under the supervision of whomever. You have to identify who that supervisor is because as a trainee, you're practicing under their license. They are a doctor and they are the licensed professional so she definitely should have given him that information up front all right shall we uh continue yeah let's see if it gets any better from here no <laughs> i see so have you had very many patients or... my patient history is not like i'm your you know, first patient aren't i uh, no uh-huh. no not at all second <laughs> no third wow okay third how are the first two doing? <laughs> Can't talk about that. <laughs> right. So this is a this is, this is training. For it you. it will be part of my dissertation. But oh, so you write you write about all this? Don't worry, I don't I don't use your real name. <laughs> okay, that's fine. 
Okay, just really quick on that note, related to um, informed consent, as we were discussing, and I think we've talked about this before, she also then goes on to say, like, not only is she a trainee, but she's using this all for her dissertation. Um, A dissertation is basically a big science project that people who are on the course (laughs) of getting their PhD have to complete. Um, And when you are doing any type of research, including that which you, you know, data that you would collect to include in a a dissertation, you would have to get consent from Adam. So, she wouldn't just gloss over and be like, oh, yeah, like, by the way, this is part of my dissertation. And I won't use your name. No, she would have to explain to him the project, any of the benefits and risks associated with that project. And then he would have the opportunity or actually he is required then to, like, say if he consents to be a part of that or, you know, say he does not want to. So you can't just say, like, you're part of my dissertation. That's not how this works. Yeah. And he's obviously uncomfortable by that. Yes. And he's like, oh, OK, great. I also just want to throw out, like, of course, there are going to be beginning therapists, right? Like, yes. we all were a beginning, you know, graduate student. Like, someone's going to have their first few patients sometimes. But the fact that it's all within this, like, weird context where, like, he's not informed that she's, like, a very early yeah. therapist, that it's, like, one of her first clients, and he's, like, guessing, like, oh, which client am I of yours? Like, there just should be a lot more transparency so that people, if they're not comfortable working with someone who's kind of just starting off and getting their training, they have the opportunity to work with someone else. Um, and that if they are okay with that, there's a lot more conversation about that. Oftentimes, especially when people are meeting therapy, like doing therapy for the very first time, they may even have the supervisor join them for the first few sessions yes. so that they're having more supervision and they're getting more like hands-on training. Um, but it seems like she's literally just been thrown out to like, okay, go do therapy now with like no supervision and no guidance. And we see how well that turns out. Exactly. And, you know, this isn't necessarily the way you would have to handle the situation. But if I was in her shoes, you know, I would instead, like you mentioned, Dr. Fran, be more transparent. So when if someone were to ask me, like, well, how many patients have you seen? Or am I like your first patient? I would just, you know, it seems like he's not her first patient. patient. So she can honestly say, no, you're not my first patient. I've actually been, you know, practicing as a trainee for X amount of years. I'm under the supervision of so-and-so who is an expert in working individuals, you know, who are diagnosed with cancer. I meet with them weekly we discuss your case if you ever have any questions or you feel uncomfortable you know there's definitely much more information that could be portrayed you don't necessarily have to tell him he's your third patient but there are ways that you could address this that kind of would help him understand like what is the process and what is your expertise or experience and what is your supervisor's expertise and experience Um, and none of this is really handled appropriately in this scene yeah and I think another thing I'll add is like it clearly seems like she's very anxious and uncomfortable and she's she's nervous it's her first time doing therapy which is totally normal I think most people are probably a little anxious (laughs) and nervous the first time they do this and so they may not say things as fluently or you know have the most concise explanations and they may not come off as confident but it just like does psychology such a disservice to portray her as such like a fumbling kind of like incompetent appearing provider because not all trainees are like this no definitely not and if they are if they are more uncomfortable or more anxious or more unsure about how to handle these kind of situations then their supervisor would definitely be with them so you know this is just not the most accurate hopefully you know for in our experiences and what we what should happen based on kind of just like the ethics and how we kind of go through training would happen in real life so let's see how it finishes out. Well, um, Dr. Ross <clears throat> filled me in on your situation. Yep. Oh, this must be incredibly difficult, that all this. Um, how, are you, how do you feel right now? Fine. Yeah, I've, I've, I feel, you know, I, I can't remember being so calm in, in a long time. That's a, that's a really common symptom in patients like yourself. Um, 
actually, uh, your body's in survival mode, so what you're experiencing is shock. I, th- I think I'm actually just um, fine. Right, but that's why you're feeling that, um, the sense of calm. Like, would you describe what you're feeling as a kind of numbness? No, describe it as fine. Because certain patients feel I like... feel great. Well, that's, that's wonderful. I think that's wonderful. So I think another cringeworthy part of the scene um, here of just, again, she's trying, I feel like what happens here or what they're trying to portray is like, she's latching on to one thing she like remembers from a class she's learned, she's <laughs> taken or like something that happened with a client, one of her only two other clients she's ever had of like, oh, you must be in shock. And she kind of like latches onto that, like, oh, I know what's going on here. I'm trying to sound like I know what I'm talking about. And he's just not having it because it's not reflective of how he's feeling. Or he's not ready to talk about his feelings, right? He doesn't yeah. know you. This whole situation has been very uncomfortable. Um, and one of the things I dislike so much about this scene is that she's just constantly talking at him and not really listening or asking him any questions. Like right away, she says, oh, yeah, like your doctor filled me in on your situation. She doesn't ask him like, oh, like, so what mm. brings you in? Like, what do you want to talk about? What are your goals? She automatically just assumes like, OK, you've been diagnosed with cancer. So here you are. Um, and then she goes right into telling him how he feels. And so, of course, he shuts down um, and she just keeps trying to over explain like what he's experiencing without really having any sense of what he's thinking or feeling. She doesn't know him. And it's just I, I really do not like that approach. I feel like it's very uh, as she would say, like, oh, it's very typical for Adam to just shut down <laughs> when you're just talking at him in this way. <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, definitely not off to a great start in terms of their first interaction. But shockingly, he goes back several times. He does. Yeah, he does, actually. Yeah, he continues to go back. The second session, the second time that he meets with Catherine is after he has had his first uh, session of chemotherapy. Um, So let's listen to the beginning of that uh, session. And for context, of course, this scene opens and he's laying on a couch. So again, we've just got this like classic portrayal of therapy. She's kind of leaning over in her doctor chair and he's laying across a couch. Very Freudian. So how are you feeling after your first chemo? Uh, It feels pretty bad, I gotta say. uh, Head hurts right now. Yeah. Um, From what I understand, it's it's really rough. Um, but it will pass. I think it's important to remember that these side effects are completely normal. Oh, that's good. I'd hate to feel special in some kind of way. I'm sensing some anger, which is good. I'm not angry? Why would that be good? Because you're expressing yourself. Um, you're dealing with a really serious illness. And, um... It brings up a lot of emotions. So you're you're trying to, like, make me freak out or something, right? Is that the goal here? I'm not trying to make you freak out. I do want you to get in touch with what you're feeling inside. So if you're angry... Not angry. Okay? What? Let's just... Let's do the relaxation things. Okay? Can we, can we do that? I want to hear some sitars and go to my happy place and feel the warm beam of light. Can we do that? Okay, so in this scene, you know, I feel like it starts off better. He's expressing, like, you know, that he's physically not feeling well after chemotherapy. And she kind of tries to um, empathize with that, saying, like, oh, from what I understand, it is horrible, you know, but the side effects or these feelings are normal. I think we do get a little bit more insight into what Adam's feeling here because he does, like, say, like, oh, I'd hate to feel special. And I kind of, like, chuckle about that response because I think it's probably in my 
like the way I take this is that she keeps telling him that he's like all other patients, right? Like everyone mm-hmm. feels shock and everyone does this and that and oh, everyone feels this way. And he's like, okay, like again, she's just kind of labeling his feelings and his experience without really kind of getting much from him. Um, so I think his, his reaction is, you know, I like that he kind of pushed back on that. I do like that she tries to label feelings here when she says, like, I'm sensing some anger, which is good. I think that's where she goes wrong. Like, I don't think she should have gone as far to, like, say that that was, like, a good thing, right? Maybe just saying, like, oh, I'm sensing maybe, like, some tension or anger. Like, how are you feeling? And opening up that conversation. Um, Because I think the way she says that that's good, he's just kind of um, further retreats from her. Like, well, I'm not angry, and why would that be good? Yeah, absolutely. And that, what you were talking about earlier, the skill she's trying to use is normalizing, which can yes. be an effective tool of like helping people feel like they're not alone, helping people feel like what they're going through isn't abnormal, or like that it can be, you know, worked on. But she's not doing it in the most effective way, and it's actually kind of alienating or like pushing him away. And then it does that even further when she's trying to again project what she's uh, interpreting his emotions and in a way that makes him feel, you know, frustrated, even more angry, or, you know, like he can't trust her, that he doesn't feel like opening up, um, and that she's not really helping him. You know, he's definitely got this very, um, kind of like apathetic attitude or sarcastic attitudes towards the process, which again, may not be uncommon. I know Dr. Sam and I have worked with like teenagers, for example, who maybe didn't want to come to therapy, but their parents are making them and they haven't really bought into the process yet. And so I think we're seeing something similar here where he's like, what can you really do for me to help me like feel better? You can't cure my cancer. So like, why am I here? Exactly. And, you know, every individual is different. So when a person receives a diagnosis of cancer, people react in different ways. Like some people really do want to, you know, talk about their feelings and make plans and, you know, get involved and ask the doctors lots of questions. Other people, like Catherine mentioned in the movie, might go into more shock, might withdraw, might like be processing and not really understand how they're feeling yet. So there really is a large range. Um, And I think, you know, the normalization that Dr. Fran mentioned, like trying to help someone feel like things are maybe not as unexpected or you're not alone, um, is a really helpful tool. But I think Adam is just probably not ready for that yet. And also Catherine doesn't have enough information about Adam's thoughts and feelings to help him normalize. Mm -hmm. She's just kind of, I feel like, like, you know, Catherine in this character, she's just kind of like throwing darts at the dartboard and like hoping something sticks because she doesn't really know what to do. And uh, that's very apparent and it's not helping Adam. Yeah. And it may be a common thing for a new therapist or someone who has a more challenging client who's not bought in that you're like kind of just throwing everything you've read or every technique you've heard of just to like hope that something works. Um, But unfortunately, it's just not working for Adam in this scene. No, she wants to make it seem like, oh, I get you. But as anyone like with a chronic illness will tell you, if you don't also have that illness, and even if you do, you're not... you're not ever going to 100% understand another person's experience. So it can come across as um, not always genuine, especially when, like in this situation, they don't really know each other. Yeah. Like, or she doesn't really know him and he doesn't feel like she knows him. Yeah. And we'll see, she tries some other techniques in, later in the scene. So let's hear how that goes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just being an asshole. I didn't need to say that. I don't need you to take care of me. I'm trying to take care of you. You're right. Listen, uh, there are a couple books I want you to check out. A lot of people find them really helpful. Um, don't have to read them cover to cover. Just um, take a look in and see if anything resonates, okay? Okay. Sorry, are you, are you going to, like, keep touching me like that? Or? This? Yeah, it's... I'm, 
I'm, I'm trying to make you feel more at ease. I'm... That's going to make me feel more at ease? It's like being slapped by a sea otter. Touching promotes trust. It's one of the key ways that hospital practitioners make their patients feel more secure in stressful situations. Yeah, but it's just, it, that's not going to really? help. Really? Sea otter? Is that, I mean, is this, is that okay, kind this, of better? This is getting creepy. I'm sorry. What? I, okay, you don't like that. This is one of the worst scenes to watch in the whole movie. Like, why does she keep... Worst part. Why does she keep touching him? He says, are you going to keep touching me? And she's like, oh, like this? And she does it again. And then he's like, yes, I don't like that. It feels like a sea otter slapping me. And then she's like, oh, let me try a different way. And he's like, this is creepy. And he's right. It is inappropriate. Yes. And like, I think any healthcare provider, any person 101, if someone asks you to stop touching them, stop touching them. Do not continue to touch them. Yeah. And then she's almost like offended. Like when when he when she tries a technique with him and he pushes back or like says it's not working, it's like she's offended and she's like kind of hurt. And I think that's where he kind of comes out and he's like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be a jerk, like whatever. And she's like, oh, don't take care of me. Like, I'm fine. But she's clearly offended okay. when he she keeps touching him and he she's like, oh, you don't like that. That's fine. And she like gets all awkward. And I'm like, that's his right to be like, don't touch me. That's not your role. Yes. And she could have, you know, the way she might have handled that is like, when he says, are you going to keep touching me like that? You know, she does the thing again where she's just like talking at him as if she's like reading from a textbook. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, touching promotes this, that, and the other, right? And like she constantly does this where she'll refer to him as a patient or she'll talk about like the rules and guidelines of things you're supposed to do. And that doesn't give him confidence. Like, you know, Dr. Fran and I use the terms client and patient when we're talking in a general sense. When you're working with people, you will refer to them as as people by their name, by their own experience, not as like a patient. And I think she does this again with the touching thing. So what she could have said is like, oh, I'm sorry. Like sometimes when people are having a difficult time, I might like touch them gently because I it's my way of showing that I care or trying to help. I see it makes you uncomfortable. Like I won't do that. So she could have tried to like explain where she was coming from and also said like, I hear you, I'll stop. But instead, you know, she keeps touching him and then like kind of, throws like a textbook definition of why touch is important at him and none of it uh, is appropriate and obviously does not go well. He says it's getting creepy. That's not a good sign. Red if your flag. Patient calls you creepy. Very big red <laughs> flag. And this is not where the boundary crossing ends with our therapist, oh, no. Catherine. So not too long after this scene, uh, Adam runs into her outside of the hospital. Um, and, you know, first, right off the bat, this is a minor thing, but we've talked about this before. She yeah. says hi to him first. Uh, I don't think there's other people around, but generally, as a kind of rule of thumb, we don't interact with our patients first. We let patients initiate contact with us because you just don't know how comfortable people are. If they're with someone else, okay. you don't want to break confidentiality and let that other person know that your client is in therapy with you. So that's just like right off the mm -hmm. bat, like probably not how I would have handled or most therapists would handle that situation of like, oh, hey, Adam, how are you? Like maybe he doesn't want to interact with his therapist outside of the therapy context. Yes. And at this point, he probably does not want to interact with her. Um, it's after the like whole otter slapping uh, scenario. Um, but after that, you know, when she sees him, he's actually sitting at a bus stop. And so she does not stop there. She says hi and approaches and then insists that instead of taking the bus, she drive him home. And she really, you know, wants to take him. He kind of tries to say no a couple of times and she like insists. So he ends up saying like, OK. And then Catherine gives her patient a ride home after his chemotherapy treatment running into him at a bus stop. Yeah. And I don't want to say like never that this would never ever happen, that there's no situation yeah. that you might bring a patient home. Like I could see something where like there's an emergency or I don't know, something happens and 
I don't know. I can't come up with a good scenario this might happen in, but this one <laughs> yeah, definitely either. not. Like, why would you put yourself in that situation or your client in that situation where their feet, where they're feeling like pressured or coerced into riding home with you? If something happened and you got in an accident and the client got hurt, I feel like there'd be a liability issue. So like, oh, yeah. there's just so many problems with driving him home. And it's not like he absolutely, like, he had another way home. He could have waited for the bus. And then even more problematic still in this car ride, she goes on to try to get him to basically engage in a therapy session. So she starts to ask him questions. He recently broke up with the girlfriend, um, Rachel, we had alluded to previously, briefly. They've recently broken up. Um, he makes a comment, and then she like kind of asks him for more and more information to the point where he finally just says, like, I don't want to do therapy right now in the car with you. The bus after chemo? Yeah, well, usually uh, Rachel drives me, but um, we broke up, so. She kind of cheated on me. Oh, um, Adam, do you want to talk about this? You know what? Actually, no. Nah, let's let's not do the therapy in the car. You're just giving me a ride as a friend. Yeah, and Adam, like, if... You know what we should really talk about is you have trash on your floor, and there's no reason. I mean, you know, at least have a bag in the back to put the trash in. Adam, I mean, your girlfriend cheated on you. We don't have to talk about it. We don't have to. Um, and then she starts to tell information about her past relationships and, like, behaviors that she has done. I think, like, she talks about, like, looking into her exes, like, on social media or something like that. So she starts to share behaviors and things that have occurred in her past relationships. And Dr. Fran and I have talked about this in the past as well, like, self-disclosure. It is appropriate in the context of therapy sessions, not in a creepy car ride home, to share information about yourself, like, if it would benefit the patient um, in some way. And this definitely does not seem to be meeting that goal. This is just kind of like, again, an inappropriate way of getting him to talk when he's not comfortable and that you're not really in a therapy session. And then kind of sharing inappropriate information about your history as well, just because it seems like... She just wants to vent to someone. Yeah, it comes off. It starts slipping into more of like a casual, like friendly conversation, which then like kind of alludes to what's going to happen in their relationship moving forward. But it's kind of slipped from and that's the whole point of having boundaries and having limits on how much we share and how much we disclose of like it should really be in the service of helping the client. Um, In this situation, it doesn't seem like it's helpful to him to hear that like she's broken up with her boyfriend and she even says something like, oh, I shouldn't be sharing personal information. And then she keeps going. This is what frustrates me about her is that she's not unknowingly doing these things or like it she knows that they're not ethical and that they're not helpful to to adam and she keeps kind of pushing the boundary further and further yes and then to top it all off when she drops him off at home um she gives him her phone number which again is not um a hundred like is not necessarily inappropriate there are some situations and types of therapy where patients or clients have their therapist like phone number a way to reach them outside of the office um and adam makes a joke about like scoring her digits i just i just want you to have my cell number just if you need anything you have it thanks uh i just like score your digits no. No. I, no. Th- 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 I, that was a joke. That's fine. No. I don't remember that's why I said okay. That. that would be inappropriate. Oh, of course not. Mm-hmm. I know Jokes. that. I... It's a defense mechanism, and that's fine. Yeah. Just kind of showing even how further awkward and inappropriate the scenario so awkward. is. Um, and then she quickly gets defensive and says, like, that's uh, inappropriate. Um, your joke is inappropriate. I'm only giving you my phone number, like, for an emergency situation. So it ends uh, really well, but 
Adam does go back to see her yet again. <laughs> he must be desperate to keep going back. Um, the other thing that happens in this scene that we didn't mention. He needs help. I know. He, he does. Um, but the other thing that happens in this scene that we didn't mention is that he ends up cleaning her car. So her car's like a mess. Oh, yeah. And he, she, he forces her to pull over. And then he basically helps clean out her car, which will just, that's important because it's a pH don't that you'll hear later. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, one of the things I will say that comes up from the, the car ride as well is he does um, disclose kind of a history, like even before his cancer diagnosis, of anxiety, actually. He talks about like being anxious about driving, um, anxious about other scenarios. And I think that that actually could have been a really useful tidbit in therapy. Oh, you know, maybe Adam actually was anxious even before this diagnosis. And maybe that's why his response is a little more like anxiety. He's avoiding these emotions because they're bringing on anxiety. Uh, and she could have used that in therapy, but she did not... Um, alas pick up on that and or use it in treatment (laughs) so let's see like we mentioned adam is clearly in need of help because he goes back again um and this session really this next session really focuses much more on his relationship with his parents like dr sam mentioned before there is a pretty complicated relationship particularly with his mom just because of the way she's coping and try to handle and kind of caretake for adam as he's going through um the diagnosis and the treatments and things like that sorry about that don't worry about it I have parents, too. Oh. Do yours give you migraines? Well, I would talk to my therapist about my parents. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, we could do a, a role play. I'll be your mom. Oh, God. No, that's disgusting. Why is that disgusting? Uh, that's no, not... I mean... Okay, my mom, uh... I don't know, she's a crazy person. She just worries all day, every day. And, um... Honestly, it annoys the shit out of me. It's way too much, and it's not helpful, and um, I can't talk to her. I, I, I don't call her back. Like, it's a problem. So she's got this, this husband that can't talk to her and uh, this son that won't? Uh, yeah, I guess. Makes you kind of a dick. Me? <laughs> Is that, like, the medical term? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, uh, you can't change who your parents are. The only thing that you can change is uh, how you choose to deal with that. Aren't you supposed to, like, subtly manipulate me into figuring this stuff out, not just call me on my shit? Yeah, you cleaned my car, so uh, we are completely beyond that. <laughs> It's weird, isn't it? Shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have gone for it. That was good. It was good. No, it sorry. wasn't. It's so forced. I'm sorry. Try it again. Try it again. I was. I, I was. I was too far. Okay. If I'm a little closer, I'm then. gonna make it really natural. Yeah. Totally. Uh, you go, Doctor Friend. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here's okay. What I do like about this scene, I will say the good things first. Mm-hmm. Adam's finally opening up. So the stress related to what's going on with his parents has caused him to like finally, like I guess, get to the point where he's feeling like he's okay, sharing a bit about like his mo- relationship with his mom, how that makes him feel, how hard it is for him to like have her be worrying all the time, and he's also reflecting on like how he knows it's not helpful for him to ignore his mom's calls and that that's not kind and um, things like that. So I think that's like a a positive thing that he's starting to open up more and feel more comfortable in the relationship. Um, I don't think Catherine responds in the best way in terms of, you know, Dr. Sam and I had mentioned like 
offline that like if he had had a relationship and rapport built up with Catherine, then maybe she could be she could be using these kind of like almost like irreverent is the term we would use in therapy, like irreverent comments of like, oh, she has a son who's basically not doesn't want to talk to her or, you know, you're being kind of a dick. Like those are comments you would never call your client a dick, but (laughs) no, never, never. but you could use kind of that, like almost sarcasm or challenging a little bit if you had an established relationship, but she doesn't. So it just comes off as very judgmental and unhelpful. The one positive thing Dr. Fran and I also mentioned we liked about that clip was when she does say, you know, you can't change who your parents are. All we really have control over is the way that we handle it or cope or manage with it. I do agree with that. And that is a sentiment I often talk about with, you know, the young people and families that I work with, you know, that we can't always control what other people do or say or think, right? We can only kind of like work on the way that we manage and cope with that. And so I do find that to be an accurate statement. But the rest of this session, I felt like, again, um, the statements she made came across judgmental. They don't have, like, the appropriate rapport, even though he seems to be more positive. Like, his reactions, like, when she calls, when she calls him a negative name he says like oh is that the medical term so he's kind of joking and being like a little more open he does seem just like in a more positive place in this session then she starts touching him again and he even goes along with that this time so you can kind of tell though they're starting to trend in this like flirting i would say more of like a friendship it's more of like a flirting friendship not a professional type um of vibe in these sessions Again, just she should not be touching him since he had said no in the first place. But like we mentioned, he does get a little more flirty and they're practicing it this time. But, you know, just not not a very appropriate, not a very professional session. Not at all. And so we do see him and Catherine interact a few more times throughout the movie. We won't do those in as much detail, but maybe just kind of highlight a few pieces that kind of come up. Um, They have a session where... You know, Adam starts to really open up about coming to the realization that he might die and that that's really scary for him. This is actually a very, um, I think, realistic portrayal of what we might see in therapy sessions with people who have been diagnosed with cancer um, or are going through cancer treatment, depending on their prognosis and their treatment, uh, the, the stage of treatment that they are in. You know, Adam does express like he's come to this realization that he might die um, and he wants to talk about that. He wants to process that, maybe even plan for that. The thing I feel like does not go well is Catherine. She really kind of like, I think, responds with what what we call reassurance. So that's when you kind of tell someone like, it's okay, that's not true, you're going to be fine, everything's going to be fine. What we know in the research is actually reassurance is not a helpful like way to respond to people because it's actually very invalidating. If someone comes to you and they say, I might die because I have cancer and the doctors have told me this and, you know, this is a realistic probability that I am coping with, telling them, no, you're going to be fine, does not make them feel good. In fact, like, you know, it's better to kind of validate their emotions and say, I understand that is really tough. Like, how do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. Or if you might die, like, what would you like to do in preparation for that? Or do you not want to talk about it? Do you not want to plan for it? But at least opening up that conversation so that they can talk about and prepare for something that is on their mind and that could be very distressing for some. Yeah, and I think what we see is that that's probably a common reaction just people in general might have to these fears. Yes. And her in this situation, like, a very... A young, like, novice therapist doesn't really know how to hold his, you know, distress and his difficulty in processing this. And then her automatic reaction is like, oh, no, you'll be fine. It's not a big deal. As opposed to, like Dr. Sam said, really kind of processing. And he picks up on that. And he has this quote about, like, you know, and he even says. Sorry, but I just have to call you on this. It's just, it's just bullshit. 
it's what everybody's been saying from the beginning like oh well you know you'll feel better and don't worry and this is all fine and like it's not you know I don't know why everybody's so fucking scared to just say it like you're dying dude it makes it worse that no one will just say it yeah and you know I think that's very poignant because that is how a lot of people think and feel when you come at them with this like kind of reassurance tone like um, like I mentioned, it's better to meet them where they're at. But you're 100% right, Dr. Fran. We all do this all the time. We see someone in distress. We see someone hurting. And we want to make them feel better. And so we kind of just, you know, use reassuring statements um, when that's not really the best approach. So it's something good to kind of get in the practice of instead of just saying, like, no, you'll be fine. It's just echoing back, like, what they've said. And, like, yeah, that is difficult or tough or scary. Um, and, like, how do you feel or how can I help? Like, it's better just to say, like, yeah, this is kind of scary. Like, how can I help? Right. Exactly. You know, not say, no, you're going to be okay, when he knows that might not be accurate. Yeah, and it leaves him feeling not very fulfilled by the session, and he kind of leaves and says, like, this isn't really working, and that he doesn't really seem to be trusting her motives. He feels like she just wants to have this, like, quote, inspiring story where, like, her client gets better, and she helps them, and, and this kind of thing. So, like, it clearly is not helping their therapeutic relationship and his trust in her as his provider. Yes, I agree. And, you know, even though we all kind of step into this trap or might not handle it appropriately as a therapist, you know, really I think what she's doing is putting her own discomfort and stress um, above Adam's, right? Like it's uncomfortable for her to acknowledge that he might die. And so she just says everything's going to be fine instead of kind of like, meeting him there where he needs to go. Yeah, absolutely. So not a great session. It's like maybe their therapeutic relationship is over at this point. It's a little bit unclear. Some things develop with Adam after this session. His cancer is not responding well to the chemo. It's continuing to spread, and he has to have surgery scheduled pretty quickly. Um, and uh, understandably, he becomes very distressed in trying to process how, you know, fears about the surgery, fears about the prognosis, how that's going to go. And, you know, ends up uh, Seth Rogen's character tries to help him and take yes. him out. And like we mentioned before, maybe not in the most helpful or effective way. Um, but it kind of leads up to this culmination of Adam really just getting to the point where he's like expressing outwardly, like how upset and distressed he is. Yes, he he basically starts like driving a car like very recklessly and quickly um, and then kind of gets Kyle out of the car and is screaming. And in the, well, one of the last interactions that we see with Catherine, at least as his therapist, um, he calls her uh, and he just like um, he calls her. It's like late at night. She picks up the phone um, and he expresses that he just wants it all to be over. Like he's very tired, um, that he just, you know, wants this all to be done. And so again, they have a conversation that I think borders more on a friendship type conversation. You know, she mentions like, she says something about her job being really hard and she's afraid to ruin people's lives. And so I think she's kind of apologizing for the way that their last session went. Um, and she tries again to like reassure him with what he's like currently experiencing in this kind of like, you know, he's just feeling very stressed out before his surgery. Hello? Hey, it's Adam. Adam? It's midnight. What What's going on? Um, it's probably having a nervous breakdown. I think I just uh, fractured my larynx. I'm really, really glad that you called. I just wanted to be over. I'm so fucking tired of being sick. You know, if this surgery doesn't work, it's, um... That's it. <laughs> and I've never, you know... I've never been to fucking Canada. I've never told a girl I loved her. 
sounds stupid, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Sorry I was such an asshole. The other day. No, I was an asshole. I was totally unprepared for you. This job is really hard. <laughs> if I fuck up, I can ruin somebody's whole life. Well, I guess we're both beginners at this. You're on Facebook. You know, um, stalking my ex-boyfriend actually isn't the only thing I do in my free time. Oh, she were my girlfriend. Girlfriends can be nice. You just had a bad one. I bet you'd be a good one. I will say the way that he uses. Hypothetically, if a if a therapist had given him their phone number to reach out for emergencies or like high distress, this is actually a perfect situation where he could reach out for that support if that's an already established situation that he can contact his therapist. How she would re- how she responds is not really how a therapist would hypothetically hopefully respond. She might say something like, "Tell me a little bit about what's going on," like trying to regulate him if they've been working on skills for managing stress, like trying to just validate his feelings and kind of help him cope with like in the moment those overwhelming feelings that she's that he's having. So I think that part of like him reaching out is not necessarily inappropriate, but how she responds and he's in this very very vulnerable state. Here's like someone whose support system has kind of been falling apart around him, and here's the one person who even though she's been a terrible therapist he somehow feels connected to her and feels like she is i don't know cute and funny i don't know what he sees in her but (laughs) then he kind of ends it with i wish you were my girlfriend yeah exactly so that kind of gives you a sense of the vibe of that conversation not very professional if at the end he says i want you to be my girlfriend and as you were talking dr fran i also was thinking you know if someone calls me late at night and they say i want it to be over i'm so effing Mm. tired and yeah. I gave them my phone number for an emergency instances, you should also be doing an assessment of whether or not this person is thinking about hurting themselves or wanting to do something to hurt themselves. Just because when someone says, I want it to be over and I'm tired, you know, obviously, Adam, he meant more related to the medical um, treatment that he's receiving. He's tired and he doesn't want to hurt himself, but he's just distressed about going to surgery. Okay, we know that. But she didn't ask any questions to gain insight into like whether or not that was what he meant by those statements calling him in such distress. So also just something to kind of like, have on our radar if this was a more appropriate um, relationship between a person and their therapist, what might have happened on that call. Yeah. And I think, of course, for the comedic slash, you know, cinematic value, these are the types of scenes that we get throughout the movie of him and Catherine's interactions. And unfortunately, what we don't see is all the ways that therapy actually could be helpful in helping someone who's going through these situations manage and process what's going on. Like therapy could really have been used to prepare for the surgery. There could have been a whole session focused on his anxieties about it, how he wanted to prepare for that, how he wanted to cope with it. And that's just not what we get. Yeah, that's actually a huge thing in health psychology is like, you know, working through the coping um, with the treatment, preparing for surgery, things of that nature. It seems like they did some work on like relaxation skills, so coming up with things that would be helpful in these kind of instances, um, you know, but we unfortunately do not see that in this movie. The next time that we do see Adam and Catherine, so Adam goes into surgery, he does have Kyle there, his parents are there for him, um, and surprise, 
Catherine also shows up um, to, I guess, support him, which I find to be kind of interesting. I'll get to that. But, you know, she shows up in the waiting room. Um, and then Kyle recognizes the name Catherine. And he even says something like, oh, you're the therapist. I'm Catherine. Um, I'm, uh... Therapist. Yeah. I'm Kyle. I'm Adam's friend. Oh, hi. Hi. These are Adam's parents. Do you say I'm a dick? Because I'm not. I want you to know I smothered him because I love him. Seriously, do you say anything? I, I can't. I'm, I wouldn't. I wouldn't talk about that kind of thing anyway. So we've talked a lot about you know disclosing information without permission. To our knowledge. Catherine does not have permission to talk to Adam's parents or his friend, um, but she kind of, like, reveals her identity and, like, talks to them, asks about how he's doing. So also just, like, not a very ethically appropriate um, portrayal of Catherine's skills in that scene. I will say it's probably not uncommon or unusual for a health psychologist to potentially go visit a client after a surgery or, you know, maybe ask around to see how the surgery went or like different things like that. But usually they're not going to be like going and sitting in the waiting room as if they're a family or friend because that's not their role in that situation. Exactly. They would have access to the medical chart or they are in communication with the medical team. So it's very appropriate to go and see a person before or after a surgery, check in, check in with the team. That all is in the realm of what a health psychologist might do. I do think it was weird that she was like sitting in the waiting room and then talking to the family and friends. In her defense, at one point though, when they kind of both the mom and Kyle ask about like, well, what is Adam saying about us? She does say she can't talk about that. So at least she doesn't reveal further information. (laughs) Yeah, the like only ethical boundary that she maintains throughout this movie. Speaking of ethical boundaries being crossed, so flash forward, Adam's <laughs> surgery has gone well. He's recovering. Things are going better with him and his friend, him and his parents. Like things are kind of looking up for him. And the movie ends with Catherine coming over for a date. A date. They're going to have dinner and the the last line of the movie is they like look at each other and say, now what? Now what? You know what, Catherine? You're going to get fired and reported to the ethics board. That's what happens now. You'll never become a doctor now, Catherine. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. So, okay, I guess technically she wouldn't be reported to the ethics board because she's not licensed. But this would actually be a huge issue for her supervisor. If your supervisee as a licensed provider is sleeping with or dating a client. We've talked about this on the podcast before. This is a common thing that comes up. There is like a window of several years that you're not supposed to have sexual relations. And even after that, it's only under very, very extenuating circumstances. So this clearly is not even outside of those first few year window and just probably never went a bit appropriate. Um, So just a bad situation for everyone involved. But the movie ends as if they're just going to ride off into the sunset and have no face, no consequences. Yeah, which is, you know, not appropriate. We have talked about this ad nauseum. Unfortunately, it does come up in movies and TV shows all the time. Um, And I do think in this situation, like, even, like, I mean, it's always a bad situation, but she is a trainee. So not only is it going to be bad for her supervisor, also, like, her status in her graduate program 
trying mm-hmm. to get other training opportunities or even getting licensed in the future, having done this type of like ethical breach, I think is very problematic for her. So if she can even continue, I would I, think that, yeah. she, that she probably cannot continue in her graduate program after this is reported. And, and the reason is like Adam, again, like I mentioned before, is in a very vulnerable state. Like exactly. how much of the relationship is actually a mutual, like romantic connection and how much of it is here is the one person that was stable and that was like, you know, I guess nice to him and funny and like made him laugh. Like here was the one person that was stable in his life. So how do we know that his romantic connection with Catherine is really genuine and how much of it is a product of where he was emotionally at the time that their relationship happened? And that's why those lines can get really blurred and crossed and why there are such clear rules and guidelines around not letting those boundaries cross. Exactly. There is a type of like, you know, power deferential, so to speak, because the clinician is the one who is trying to guide Adam and help him to cope and manage is being very stable, you know, well, you know, maybe not Catherine, but it's supposed to be being very stable, very non-judgmental, very supportive, helping him to feel better. So then you have the individual like Adam who is feeling better. And you're right, it gets it gets confusing in that like, is this a is this a romantic connection or is this because this person was there for me in a really difficult time and knows all these yeah. things about me and helped me through it um but in a way that they were not really supposed to be supporting me you know because they did cross those boundaries yeah absolutely so happy for adam happy he recovered i do Very. not ship this relationship i do not uh, condone the relationship between <laughs> adam and Catherine. i hope that does not work out for them yeah well it's definitely not gonna work out for Catherine and you know i hope adam does find a more appropriate relationship (laughs) agreed agreed but that brings us to our many we had to trim it down ph don'ts this is not a safe place sorry are are you gonna like keep touching me like that that guy is a total loon but i cannot talk about my clients cannot talk about my clients oh that's it great great job thank you Don't repeatedly touch your patient after they ask you not to. Don't collect information from your patient for your dissertation or research without consent. Don't continue to cross professional boundaries over and over again and admit that you're doing that and still continue to do it. Don't give your patient unwelcome car rides and then let them clean your car. Don't call your patient a dick. And don't date your patients. Don't do it. Don't date your patients. Don't do it. Don't date him. <laughs> Ugh, okay, so Dr. Sam, what are your overall impressions of 50-50? Well, I think it is pretty apparent about a lot of Dr. Fran and mine's feelings about this movie. I would say overall, I do like the fact that like they showed um, this facet of psychology that probably a lot of people aren't familiar with. You know, as someone who does specialize in health psychology, oftentimes when I meet with people and work with families, they do not have any exposure experience with psychologists or therapists prior to that. Um, and if you've never had a chronic illness, you don't know that this is something therapists can help with, right? Um, so I did really like how they showed like if someone has cancer or potentially other chronic medical conditions or even acute medical difficulties that they can work with therapists to help, like we talked about, kind of optimize both their mental and physical health. So I thought that was really cool. The acting is great. Um, And if you are not a stickler for ethics and what is appropriate um, psychological (laughs) treatment, I could see it being a very heartwarming movie. You know, I think um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt does a really nice job with the role. um, And I think it does show the nuances of someone who is struggling 
with a cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment. Um, it can be enjoyable in those ways. In terms of the psychological portrayal, I thought that that was just like horrendous and very difficult to watch. What about you, Dr. Brand? <laughs> yeah, hold those thoughts for your DSM-5 yeah. <laughs> rating, Dr. Sam. Um, I agree. It's really hard to take out the like interaction, like the ethical boundaries and yes. how passionately we clearly feel about how that's portrayed. Um, but I actually do enjoy this movie. And again, if you are ignore all of that, it's actually funny dialogue. Like this movie made me laugh a lot just because it's so awkward and uncomfortable. Like their interactions. Again, I think the acting's really well done in it. Um, I, I agree that I, I like and I actually wish they did more of kind of diving into like how Adam's coping with this, how his yeah. family members are coping with it. Like I think they could have done more with that and maybe less attention to all the therapy content. Um, but I do enjoy the movie. I thought it was it drew on, you know, pulled on my heartstrings in a few different scenes. And like you really feel for Adam, mm -hmm. which I think speaks to like this process and how we it's not really a common portrayal um, of kind of like coping with cancer in this way and it kind of is like a more raw portrayal in that way i think that's very which true I enjoyed yeah that's very true i like that part of it that it showed like this important aspect of coping with cancer and the therapy part i feel like unfortunately this is the trap we see a lot though it's like enjoyable cute funny movie with great acting um and it just shows a really poor portrayal of psychology that kind of i think in a way like makes people like have very inaccurate beliefs or in a more dangerous way like has people kind of doubting that they should or you know explore mental health treatment if it's warranted so you know i think this is like a perfect example of that trap though like good entertaining movie horrible portrayal of psychology so i mean imagine someone's going and they are working with a trainee or someone who's yes. like a, a beginning therapist and this is their only reference point I wouldn't want to work with a beginning therapist either if this was my only reference point. But Dr. Sam and I are here to tell you this is not accurate. No. And beginning therapists have a lot of skill and a lot of supervision and a lot of guidance in order to actually help people and not just try to have sex with them. Exactly. Exactly. This is all wrong. So going into that <laughs> for our DSM-5 diagnosing shows and movies. So this is where we really are kind of diagnosing the portrayal of the psychological constructs shown in the movie with one being totally inaccurate and five being the most accurate where would you rate this movie dr fran i would say Catherine's like a negative five <laughs> <laughs> hopefully <laughs> um okay therapy portrayal hopefully a one mm -hmm. like it's it's really bad yeah so many ethical i mean it, they're dating she's dating the patient that's like automatically a one and then i think on top of that we've highlighted many many other issues health psychology unfortunately we just don't see enough of it like in terms of the fact that there's a psychologist in a healthcare, or sorry not a psychologist but like a psychology <laughs> trainee yeah. in a healthcare setting like that's cool but the therapy is is pretty garbage what about you, Dr. Sam? I have to agree. We can't go negative or zero or else I would. But it's like, okay, a one because it has psychology in it and health psychology is a thing. That's accurate. One point. The rest is just, yeah, like her approach, her, you know, um, just obviously the ethical boundaries and issues with her approach. Uh, it's a one. <laughs> It's the worst one yet, I think. And I I think so. I think it is the worst one yet and also because it was the most therapy. So that's so sad because they had an opportunity maybe to do it uh better. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think this is probably the longest the movie that has had the most minutes probably of therapy or close to it that we've covered. Definitely. We covered a lot of therapy scenes and they were pretty atrocious. So it's yeah, it's very unfortunate that the one of the movies we've covered with the most therapy content was so bad. Yeah. But here we are. Check out the movie. 
Definitely let us know your thoughts. If you guys have any thoughts about the therapy or the movie, we're always wanting to hear it. We're really glad to be back in the swing of things. So as always, please check out our social media. We'll also have our new Back in Action as well, monthly Freudian Scripture Spotlight. Also, don't forget to check out our website for resources and a glossary of new terms. You can also leave us a review on any podcasting platform to get a free sticker. So definitely check that out as well. And reach out. Let us know what you think about the show. Change our mind. If you think Catherine was a great therapist, let us know your thoughts. (laughs) I don't think so. And please do join us next session. We're going to have a really cool mini session. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review. Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon, creative director, Eric, and webmaster, Don. Are you going to keep touching me like that, Dr. Fran?